welcome, 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 my friends, to Controlling the Mind and the Machine podcast. It's your girl, Eric Chadwick. I'm the founder of this mofo. Um, I am always excited to be doing these podcasts because, well, I'm not consistent with it, but when I do them, um, I always get really jazzed about uh, whatever it is that we're talking about Um on the pod, which today I'm excited because one of my buddies, Z, joins me and um, is actually someone that I met on the internet. It's like internet dating, but for friends. <laughs> um, so we met on the internet um, and we just, we get each other, um, humor, all the things. And I invited him to stop by and chitty chat chat with me. Um, not knowing what we were going to freaking talk about. And you guys, it went in like the direction that it, I just, I couldn't have imagined a better direction for it to go. So I'm excited to share it with you. Um, reason being is cause it falls in line with this question that I'm constantly asking myself, which is like, okay, what, why, why does tack mobility exist? Why am I here? why did I create this program and this social media community? Like why? And the answer that I always go back to is, man, I just really want to be a part of giving people that gift of like a wider lens as far as perspective goes. Um, you know, in my own experience with meeting cops and, you know, finding out about your stories and your experiences, doing that really kind of, I don't know, I guess it kind of quieted a lot of the arguments that I thought I had or um, it helped me understand um, where you guys are coming from. And so I desperately want that for you guys. I want... um, I want people to be understand you better, but I also want to give you tools to understand people better. Um, it's, you know, I think that every cop that listens to this or every cop that's a part of the tech mob community has done some sort of de-escalation training. And oddly enough, it always has to do with how to de-escalate someone else. And there's such little emphasis on how understanding yourself um, helps you become a better officer, helps you empathize and helps you understand and helps you de-escalate situations because you have a bigger understanding. Um, so this dude is super squared away. And actually, you know, what's kind of funny is on his social media page, um, he just posted two different, he posted two different types of empathy, which I thought was really funny. Um, and now I know that this is what, you know, this dude is about. But uh, so he says that there's there, he posted something that says there's cognitive and emotional empathy. So those are the two different types. Um, cognitive being, cognitive being, you know, you taking someone's perspe- perspective, like apprehending, um, being able to just like see and understand 
what somebody is going through versus emotional empathy, which is your ability to share that emotional experience with them, feeling distress with them, kind of putting yourself in their shoes and, and going there with like how it feels in your body, stuff like that. So, um, you know, that, that's a huge part, um, of that's a, that's a big challenge for y'all because people be acting a fucking fool. (laughs) Like y'all have your work cut out for you because people are not making it easy. And with the cumulative stress of going to work every day or doing four tens plus overtime, if that's you, you know what I mean? Like people give you all kinds of reasons to be like, oh, this, this motherfucker. Um, so Z has got some, uh, he's got quite the history. Um, he was addicted to, uh, drugs and sold drugs, got in all kinds of, um, let's say relationships. Cause that, it's not like, like relationship relationship, but you know, he had ties with drug dealers and cartel members and things like that. So he has like a pretty unique perspective, but I really love that he, um, wanted to share a little bit about where people who are addicted to drugs are coming from. Um, and I met some of those tweakers out there at 2 AM. They are fucking, they are, they are not fucking around. (laughs) They are committed to being addicted to drugs. (laughs) getting into shit. They really are. Um, so I'm really, really excited that he decided to join me. And I really hope that you learn something from this and that you're able to, uh, make this, you know, incorporate this into, um, your career as a law enforcement officer. Okay. So stay tuned for that. Um, and then also don't forget to set your alarm. If you have Monday off, at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We're doing uh, part two, part two of three for the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for CAPS, okay? Um, if you haven't already, head over to tacmobility.net slash BJJ, and then you can actually sign up. That's what I need you to do because at the end of part three, I'll be giving away seven scholarships, to seven officers and you can take that $150 in cash and go to any jiu-jitsu academy that is close to you, okay? 30 days of jiu-jitsu will change your career as an officer. Um, and then, you know, if you if if you get the bug, is that what it's called? If you get the bug, or you, if the bug bites you, what is it called? Catch the bug? I don't know. Where you, like, you do it. <laughs> You do it after you've experienced it. I don't know what it's called. Um, but anyways, mark your calendars. Um, October 26th, I'm teaming up again with Resilience BJJ out of Visalia, California. Um, this guy is, he's been a longtime police officer um, at a, um, out of Fresno, California. And he has these, um, he has arrest and control courses that he teaches. And then he also created this officer involved shooting course. So he teaches y'all how to articulate shootings, um, helps you understand what to expect if you are involved in a shooting, um, and has got some really cool resources for support. So very excited that him and I are working together again for part two. Um, so without further ado, y'all, let's get up into this business right now. 
controlling the mind and the machine. Welcome. You guys, I'm here with a special friend of mine <laughs> who I like sort of know from the internets. Yes. It feels like we're friends like in real, I mean, I guess now it's real life, but yeah. like prior to today, we had never met. No, but we, we definitely get each other. We get each other. We get each other hard. <laughs> so uh, my friend's name is Z. Uh, you know how we feel about hiding all those identities, you <laughs> fucking tactical ass people with your fucking <laughs> nicknames and weird usernames. Oh, and I just shot my cap at him. Don't eat that. Um, so we're hanging out in my casa in Gilbert, Arizona. Um, got the pup with us. So if you hear him, you know what? I need to stop apologizing for the audio. God damn it. It is what it is. And, our, and my chair is squeaky. Um, deal with it. Deal with it. But I thought that I would invite him to come out because, one, he's, he seems like an enigma on the internets. And he's very, like, um, squared away in terms of security. So there's not a lot that he tells about himself. But his reposts are always something to do with, like, tactical or shooting or military, all that stuff. Like, where is all that stuff coming from? Um, well, I'll just give you kind of the whole, like, basic background. So, although I maintained a career in, we'll say, finance for 15 years, for 13 years, I sold and was addicted to opiates, both legal and not legal. Um, so my, my history is pretty gory. <laughs> I've seen a lot of shit. Uh, but now I am free of that for, we'll call it about a year. And now I just kind of want to help people, um, both from a security aspect, because I have been around real criminals who basically predate on other people. Uh, what does that mean? Well, so I won't tr try and get too far into a tangent here, but um, I, I think that, especially in the self-defense world, people tend to kind of think about a self-defense situation and they kind of manifest like these, these perfect situations um, where like, you know, it's a very clear cut type of thing. Someone comes up to you and they threaten you and they push you and you know, then it escalates from there. Um, escalation doesn't exist in nature, nor does it exist in real criminals. And what I mean by that is like a lion isn't going to threaten a gazelle before they attack. So you have to differentiate between a real uh. attack and a threat display. And if someone wants to attack you, um, they're going to leverage every advantage that they have. These people are very skilled in violence. Uh, they're not going to give you an opportunity to see it coming, right? So you have to think about that. You have to be aware. Um, you know, you have to keep your head out of your phone. That's a big, big part of that. Um, but, you know, when you've seen, for example, a friend of mine who was in prison for a while uh, pretended he couldn't hear someone, so they would lean in and then knock them on the ground and then stomped on his face six times. <gasps> oh, no! And then, you know, we had to clear his airway and basically teach him how to breathe. Like, things like that that you've seen over and over again, like, it just, it, it reinforces a lesson that, you know, your vulnerability often is highly correlated to your a situational awareness. So that's part of, you know, why it's important for, for these people to learn that. That's fucking insane. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, you know, that stuff happens all the time. And like, you know, so one thing that I tell 
especially women that are close to me, is, well, a couple things. One is, um, I would rather that you be an alive bitch than a dead nice girl because people predate on that. That's a soup. That's a hard one for women to like get past, and which is why I like being around female cops because they don't have that. Yeah. But like, I'm ooh, I don't want you to be like mad at me. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. And people pre- <laughs> they prey on that, right? They know yeah. that social dynamic exists. Oh, motherfuckers! Oh, yeah, they're smart, dude. These people Fuck are it. not dumb. They're not dumb. I mean, again, and. And whether they learn it through being in prison or through other people or just their own experiences, like there's a learning curve to everything, right? But again, they are, they know what they're doing ultimately. Um, and the other thing is trust your gut. If your gut says something's not right, if your gut says this person doesn't have my best interest in mind, nine times out of 10, your gut is right. And you should listen to your gut. Absolutely. Those are your feelings. Those you guys. <laughs> See, I feel like in the past, like, cops have always been like, oh, I don't have fucking feelings. And I'm like, well, no. Like, they're helpful. Yeah. And you just fucking said why. Okay, so you, so you, you're coming from a, you were involved in kind of like the bad guy side of things. Yes. Okay, so, like, what, in my mind, the only, the only person like that that exists is that, you know, that Ed Manifesto guy. Yeah, Do yeah. Do you follow him? Yeah, that's awesome, yeah. Is that, like... Like that kind of stuff is what you saw. I mean, not as well, much because it's not like Mexican he was an cartel stuff. In, in Mexico, so I was on the other side of the fence, basically. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And you know, again, we're being in Arizona. Um, you know, we're super close to the borders, and you know, I have arms length connections to the Sinaloa cartel, for example, um, who absolutely do operate here. Don't think otherwise; they are absolutely. Are you here. serious? Oh, 100%. really? Yeah. For years and years and years, they've been here. So what's your exposure been to, like, what, what was that like selling drugs? Like with, so, were they just regular dudes or? So it's like any business, right? So um, it's a, there's a clear organizational structure. I mean, it's like a corporation. It's very, it's very well run. I mean, the only difference is instead of, you know, like an aggressive corporate takeover, they, you know, fucking murder people, right? I mean, that's, but... And that's, you know, part of the issue when you make something illegal is there's only one way to settle disputes if there's no legal structure around, right? And that's violence. You know, violence is a universal language, um, and they use it like a tool. I mean, they use it to send a message, you know, they use it to problem solve. Um, you know, they're, they're as pragmatic as you can be about violence as possible. Um, but it was basically just somebody that I knew and then their cousin was kind of like a low level, like kind of capo, if you will. For the When's that capo? Darcy, shut the fuck up. Like, um, like a middle manager. <laughs> a basically. middle manager? Yeah, yeah. Come here. Shut the fuck up. Come. Yeah, violence, that's right. Universal. Yep. It translates to dog. They know. <laughs> they understand it. Dogs are smart. So you've got this middle management guy. Hold on. Yep. Hey. Oh. You need to hang out with us. Yeah. Okay, so middle management guy. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah, so like, you know, um, when he would get packages, like it would still have a stamp on it from, from the cartel. 
So depending upon what it is and where it comes from and all sorts of stuff. I, it, it, I never got a really good answer why they do that, but I think it's just kind of a method of tracking its origin and where it goes. So, and again, these people are not dumb, right? I mean, um, I, I think there, there's a couple misconceptions about like drugs and drug dealing and everything like that. First of all, the, the idea that like a middle level drug dealer is like some rich dude that <laughs> drives like a Bentley and stuff doesn't happen. At least, okay, this is, uh, to be fair, I'm 67% idiot. I'm not an expert when it comes to, <laughs> to addiction counseling or, you know, I'm not a gangster. I'm not a badass. This is just my experiences, right? But, like, um, the vast majority of the, the people that I interacted with that were relatively, I would call, professional about this stuff. Um, the most common scenario was someone that was a felon uh, early in life, so 18, 19, 20 years old. Mm -hmm. um, that pretty much screws you out of earning a legitimate which is like a whole different it's a conversation for a different day yeah. but it's like our our country in terms of its ability to reform individuals who have had experiences with crime because the idea that like oh they made poor life decisions we all fucking make poor life decisions yeah. and we have all done some illegal ass shit they just fucking got caught for yeah. the most part there's a lot of shitty people out there that are like hell bent on on being bad and they're psychopaths yep. and whatever but our inability to like bring people back into society to like help them recover and rehabilitate to like enter into our society as helpful productive citizens yeah we've fucking taken that away and we've created the cycle yeah that perpetuates absolutely and that's why recidivism is so high right i mean totally and again like most of those people were married they had kids and they just use this as any other job and they treated it like any other job they were professional about it you know they were very secretive they were smart about it but the, they just paid bills <laughs> it's not like they were out there again buying like a bentley or, or something like that it didn't again do those people exist i'm sure they do but from my experience the vast majority and, and to be fair i've met some of the the best people in the drug trade i've met some of the worst but mostly the best i mean some of the people most loyal real honest hard-working smart individuals mm -hmm. that i've you know ever encountered and i've you know obviously spent a lot of time in corporate america too i mean these these people aren't dumb they're just forced into a situation by right. mm -hmm. they're victims of circumstance basically and you're absolutely right there, i don't think there is much of an effort and especially if you look at funding wise to to re really rehabilitate these people and, and again once you you stamp that felon that's Dude, it you're forever. fucked you're, you're fucking fucked. you're you're fucked a couple of my family members are and i'm just like man like the world is missing out on you coming up and fucking yeah. doing something amazing with your life because you're fucking you're tied to being a bar cook for the rest of your life right because that's who's gonna hire you yep. that's fucking wild to me yeah that's wild. And try and earn a living and support, you know, a family of four or five on there. It's just not going to happen. I mean, and then obviously they already know people that, you know, they basically have a passport into this trade. I mean, right. How, how do you resist right. that, right? I mean, it's so... It's easier. Yeah. It's easier. So, <laughs> we wrap a trail. We're going to do that a lot. I should probably write down the thought <laughs> before we wrap a trail. Okay, so you were talking about working with 18, 19, 20-year-olds who were in... Who committed crimes these are the people that you're working with mm -hmm. and then like what happens so how did you get involved um so i, I you know basically people i knew growing up um I, I grew up in kind of a rough area um and that's you know so it's like 
the passport. Here? Yeah. In, in Central Phoenix. Yep. Um, and so, the, you know, kind of like that's the passport on the street. It's like who you know, sports, military. Someone that can vouch for you generally gets you kind of a foot in the door. Um, and to be fair, man, I had, from a family perspective, I had every advantage. You know, my parents are amazing people. They're upper middle class. You know, I had a, a very stable home life. I have every advantage possible. So why did you, what made you even interested in, because that, it's it's not a door to it is a door. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't notice it, and then all of a sudden you do. So, like, what yeah. attracted you to that? Um, you know, so it wasn't, it was like this very gradual thing. It wasn't like I made a conscious decision, like, I'm going to, hey, I'm going to go and, you know, risk my life and sell drugs and be addicted to shit. Like it didn't, didn't happen that way as I'm sure it doesn't for most people. Right. Um, it started with a girl and it kind of escalated from there. And then I've got some health issues. So I did have legitimate pain. Um, and that made it easy for me to go to a doctor and, you know, get pain medication. And especially at the time, this was, you know, 2007, eight, nine, 10, uh, there, there weren't any checks. I mean, they would prescribe, pretty much whatever you would want. And that was like, you know, at that point in time, I think early 2000s when doctors started looking at pain as like the fifth vital sign. And so they were really concerned about what's your pain level, you know, managing it, et cetera. Um, and then <clears throat> it just kind of graduated from there, you know, I mean, it, when I started in this whole thing, like a 30 milligram oxycodone pill was like 10 bucks. Now they're $30. So yeah, they were 10 when I used to do oxys. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yep. That's so expensive. Oh, it's crazy. And then again, I mean, the average person that, that does this has a job because you can't afford it unless you have a source of income. Totally. And then you get sucked into this cycle where, um, you know, I'm sure this is not a surprise to anybody, but, uh, <clears throat> opiate withdrawals are really fucking inconvenient. It's not like you can just take off a month of work and you know deal with that and go through it. So you're stuck in this cycle of, I need them to work and I have to work because I need them, right? So you just get locked in here. And mm. that's, and again, for the vast majority of people that I still you know, kind of know at arm's length that are still involved, that's, you know, that's the thing. And there's no de you know de demographic for this. I you know I have dealt with CEOs. And That's super police, true. Police officers and EMTs and doctors and strippers and construction workers. I mean, it's there, there isn't you know one type of person that tends to get involved with this. If, and that's because trauma is not, has no prejudice. That's absolutely right. Like yeah. the shit that we all go through, like not one fucking person is impervious to feeling pain. And we're all like, we're a species that wants to avoid discomfort yeah. as much as possible. Yeah. Like myself included. The sober October. <laughs> God damn it. Better living through chemistry, right? Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that. Better living through chemistry. Right. And, and to your point, and this is the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is um, physiologically, like emotional pain and physical pain, your body looks at pretty much the same way. Mm -hmm. And opiates relieve that pain, whether it's physical or emotional. And I think that's a big part of why I was so attracted to it is I had a lot of trauma just from what I was involved in and relationships and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Like, just to give you an example, my ex fiance she her dad committed suicide they couldn't afford 
a crime scene cleaner, so I went in. Oh no! Cleaned up after. Oh no! That's a thing. You have to pay for that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It's really. How much does it cost? Probably like you know five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my god! Because it's it's a biohazard, right? I mean, there's very special equipment and techniques and skills and everything like that that you have to. So all they could afford was to pay two thousand to get rid of the couch he was laying on, but I went in and. You know, pick little fucking pieces of skull and brain off the wall. Shit, oh so. my god! Yeah, so stuff like that. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, that is wild. Yeah. Oh, I want to hug you. That's so insane. I'm okay, so so you so okay so you've got this little suitcase full of trauma, right. and you're like opi, and you have access to prescriptions are you going to like multiple doctors at this point to get just as many prescriptions as you can or you're like no no so i'll give you kind of like the 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 history here um arizona as most states now have a computer database so if you fill a prescription every pharmacy every doctor now knows where did you fill it what it was the quantity the date etc Okay. Um, before that existed, it was a little bit easier to do kind of doctor shopping, but they were still kind of onto that. The most common thing that I saw were people that would get um, <clears throat> prescription pads, illegally stolen from the doctor or something like that, get something else written on them, and then use brake cleaner to clean off the ink and then write in, you know, 120. The other thing that was really common at that time was the OxyContin Express, where people would literally fly from Phoenix to Florida because the pain clinics were just fucking handing out. I've never heard of this. Medicaid. Oh yeah. Yep. Like you could go there and the same location where you got your prescription, you could fill your prescription too. Like it was all one. A one stop shop. You fucking get it done in one day. Yep. And it was like a formula. They would get 240, 30 milligram oxycodones. They would get 120 Xanax and 120 summer. Yep. And And then you you sell that? So those people usually would sell it. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it was a $250 flight and then, you know, they'd make ten grand from that coming back. And they could hit multiple places because at the time, Florida did not have a database. That is wild. That's, it's, I mean, again, like even, even for myself, I mean, the lengths that I went to <laughs> to, to get money and, and get, like, I mean, it's, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. But and here's the thing is you have to understand that that chemical becomes critical life support equipment for you. Sure. It, I mean, you're imagine. You're going to fucking do it. You're yeah, gonna, yeah. You're figured out. Imagine having to buy your oxygen on the black market, and that gives you a pretty good correlation or comparison of, of what that pressure is like. Because if you don't have it, you're going to go into withdrawals. You're going to get insanely sick. And then again, like it's this horrible cycle of, okay, well, now I'm going to lose my job. Then I'm going to lose this, and then I'm going to lose this. You got, you know, just yourself, it's hard enough. But imagine having a family you have to support and everything like that. You're stuck. I think that it's important to talk about shit like this because, and I've noticed this in many of my cop friends, um, in the way that they talk. You know, and I get why, but there's a lot of, like, um, just generalizing the average drug user and putting them into, like, this, oh, fucking you know, this piece of shit or like this fucking deadbeat or this fucking tweaker, or this whatever going like, yes, but yeah. there's also this whole backstory and this psychological cycle yeah. of like chemical, like necessity that they're in yeah. that creates that. So it's not just this fucking guy that's out to piss you off or this no. girl that's out to piss you off. Like Definitely not. they're in their own world of like, 
I need this. My brain oxygen, yep. right? It's yep. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. And then everything else just sort of falls to the wayside in terms of like taking care of yourself or the people around you. What wouldn't you do to breathe? (laughs) Right? That's true. I mean, you would do anything at that point. Um, Yeah. So I think it's important to understand that. And like, again, most of these people aren't, aren't bad human beings. They're just, they're just stuck. They're just trapped and they're just trying to survive really. I mean, and, and we're, we're animals, right? And we're going to do animal things to survive. And that's, you know, the unfortunate reality of, of addiction like that. So did you develop, how, how did you feel about law enforcement prior to getting involved in selling and using drugs? I've always been a big supporter. I've got a family friend that, um, was a long-time Phoenix homicide detective mm-hmm. um, and, and definitely saw his attitude and life change over his career because, you know, I don't think you... Being a cop is a motherfucker of a job. It's really, <laughs> really, really hard. Yeah. Um, throughout my career, if you will, <clears throat> I never looked down upon police. I never hated them um, because it doesn't matter who you are. At some point, you're going to need law enforcement or first responders. Right, so it's like swearing off water because you might drown. Like it doesn't work that way. There's always going to be a context where they're needed, they're important. Swearing off water because you might drown. Right. I mean, and it's so short-sighted to swear off police officers altogether. And I think that's, that's yeah. Really but you were selling it. drugs, like <laughs> you're like that's not common. Most people that yeah. are getting involved in fuck shit are like, fuck the police and like all that stuff. I mean, you must've been around people that were like that. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And again, and, and most of the time that was engendered because of, like I said, like a previous encounter where like, so one of my best friends, he got into an altercation. He was almost forced into a fight outside of his place to work. And I mean, beat the crap out of the guy enough to where it ended up being felonious assault. So, I mean, it's not like he, you know, was a piece of shit and, you know, was out there, you know, trying to prey on somebody. He just, again, was a victim of circumstance. Cops came because of the color of his skin, more than likely. Um, you know, they, they, they took everyone's statement and the, the person that, you know, was attacked, basically, you know, basically made up this entire story and there weren't other witnesses and everything like that. So, I mean, he got railroaded and you know served eight years in prison because of that so and but then he stuck right right so you know to, to him to have that type of experience um you know, yeah. he was, was, wasn't a big fan obviously he's gonna form quite the opinion exactly so how did you maintain keeping that separate like how did you not let that bleed onto you and like come out of that whole career and still have the same mentality towards well i still need them Respect, I think, really, what it came down to is just respect. Did your parents, like, instill that in you? No. You know, my parents are great. They, they just really kind of let me do my own thing and form my own opinions, whether it be, you know, religion or politics or anything like that. They kind of just, which I'm very thankful for, you know, taught me, taught me how to think critically and, and consider everyone's position and, you know, how everyone feels and everyone's different perspective and then kind of let me, you know, figure it out on, on my own. Um... But yeah, again, like if, you know, if I'm transporting something, yeah, I'm going to be worried about being pulled over and, you know, arrested and all the you know, consequences of that. But, you know, most of the time you're just 
running around driving, you don't have you know, something on you necessarily that's going to get you arrested. Um, and again, there are certainly situations where you're going to need their, their assistance. They're just people, right? And that's that's the whole irony of like this you know, black, <laughs> black Lives Matter and everything like that. I'm not gonna, I won't get into it again. I'm an idiot. So take take everything I say with a grain of salt. But you know, for for an organization to talk about looking at every person as an individual and a human being, it's odd to me mm, that mm-hmm. police aren't in that category somehow. Yeah, because they're just human beings, yeah. right? Um, and they've got a hard job, and they're typically someone that has the intuition to be a protector, a defender, and to nurture yeah. and everything like that. And that's a, those are great qualities. But unfortunately, once they get into this position of power, somehow that's stripped away from them. And I don't think that's really a fair assessment. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. So how long were you involved in doing drugs or selling drugs? 13 years. 13 years. All 13 years you were selling drugs? And, like, when you say selling drugs, is that, yeah. like... Uh, I sell like 20 pills to my buddies throughout the week or like I'm selling like a bag of weed or like what is that? Mean? Yeah, that's a fair question. So at first it was it was kind of like here and there um, but relatively quickly because you need money <laughs> and I had connections. But I'll give you an example. Um, a, a partner of mine used to leave basically would call me and say, hey, my truck is going to be here. There's going to be about $10,000 worth of product and my vehicle unlocked. I would walk over, put an envelope of cash in, take what I needed and leave. So, and that was like probably, you know, twice a month, something like that. And then usually I would distribute to other distributors. Okay. I'm like, so what happens when you have it then? So then, so then the people that you're meeting, do you know them? Uh, well, again, they try and keep it as anonymous as possible. Um, and, and this individual had, again, like a, a cousin that was in the cartel. So I knew the consequences. And I always had a very kind of honor among thieves code. I never lied. I never stole. I never cheated. Um, just from my own standpoint. Of <laughs> Safety. <trying to laughs> Self-preservation. I knew it was a piece of shit. Trust me. But I still had like some, some like shoreline of morals, right? But that also kept me out of trouble too, because like, you know, I, I've had friends that were murdered. I've had friends that disappeared. Oh no. And, and because they broke that code. And again, there's, there's no other method of dealing with that in that type of trade other than violence, unfortunately. So. That's fucking insane. Uh, yeah. And it happened. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, just to, just to give you an idea of how fast this can spiral out of control. So I had a, a friend, let's, we'll call him D. And he was dating this very pretty girl. She was upper middle class. Um, they started messing around with Xanax and Oxy pills. They quickly became addicted to that. She lost her job. And they knew somebody that was involved in like the adult business, mm-hmm. right? So she started with just like photo shoots of just herself. And then, you know, the offer was like, okay, well, how about like a, like a girl on girl shoot? Mm -hmm. So that escalated to that. And then it became like full on pornography Mm -hmm. and then it became prostitution. And this is, this is eight months over this period of time. So fast happens. She ended up going to customers who were again, like kind of cartel affiliated and she knew because she had been there before that they had like basically a safe 
that was full of oh, cash. God. So she stole about $4,500 worth of cash. Um, she blamed it on my friend and said, you know, basically this was all his idea. You know, I, I had nothing to do with it. <clears throat> so I don't know if they believed her or not, or I think it was just because he was affiliated, but they found out where he lived. He had, thankfully was not home at the time, but they trashed the place. They killed both of his pit bulls. They decapitated them, left them on his bed and basically said like, you know, we're going to, we're going to find you and, and kill you, you know? And he luckily basically just packed up everything and left. And I don't, I don't even know where he is now. I just know he's, he's still alive. I don't know what happened to her. Uh, we've never heard from her Within since. eight months. Eight months. Just, just like that. Oh, that's so, that's so much stress. And then now he's just like yeah. forever scared. Oh yeah. Yep. And again, like, so there, there again is that cycle, right? The stress. And then you relieve that stress through drugs and then you take more drugs. So you get more stressed and depressed. It, it just snowballs on itself. Yeah. It's exponential. It's crazy to see, you know, good people start with you know, a couple pills here and there. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, Friday night, Saturday night, ah, well, you know, Sunday's kind of boring. I'm going to take one there. And then it's Tuesday night and Wednesday night and it's every night. Yeah. And then pretty soon you're stuck, man. So that's a, that's what I think is really interesting about mindsets and the way that people view others who don't make the same good choices as them, right? So you look at someone who's on drugs or someone who's selling drugs or whatever, and you're like, why don't you just and then fill in the blank with something that they would do, right? And I don't know that people understand how how special or unique one's mind has to be in order to step outside of that cycle because your brain doesn't allow you to think that there's something else other than what it's doing. So how did you go from being involved in that life to I don't wanna do that anymore? And, and that's also a great point is I'm not typical. I am an outlier. He just sure. said, I'm extra. <laughs> super special, y'all. <laughs> Mama said I'm special. Yeah, yeah. Mama said I'm special. So obviously, duh. Um, so, you know, again, great assault. Think about survivorship bias here. I am not the typical person. I, know, I totally realize that. Uh, but the, the number one emotion that got me out was disgust. I was disgust. disgust. I was disgusted with life. I was disgusted with losing my friends. I was disgusted with what I was having to do. I was disgusted with, you know, the violence that I had to commit to, to solve problems. I was just done. Um, and that was the, that was the, 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 the big trigger for me was like, I'm just, this is enough for one, one lifetime. I'm, um, I'm done. And I cold turkeyed it, which is not recommended. Don't do that. Uh, totally on my own. Um, and it was absolute fucking hell, but I found so much more strength and willpower because I had access to everything. I could have ended the pain any time I wanted to. But every single moment, every single second, minute, hour that went by, I felt like I had invested in that. And I was like, I'm never going to fucking repeat this again. I'm fucking done. And I did. And, you know, I mean, it's crazy. It's, 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 you know, whatever you've heard about opiate withdrawals, it's probably worse than what you think it is. I mean, it's terrible. And that's the, again, that's, that's most people aren't doing this on a constant basis to get high. They're they're just doing it because they need to fucking survive. Because you're trying to well also and avoid like you said earlier avoid that that crash or like that yeah. withdrawal. 
Mm, that's, yeah. that's the motivation right there. The motivation is not to get high. It's to avoid the hell that's coming. Mm. And, and so think about, you know, what we want to do is, as human beings, our brains are lazy, right? Our bodies are lazy. It's easier for us to categorize someone and then not have to think about their history and their viewpoint. Yes, that is so fucking true. And I can't stand that because yep. it is people, it, it allows people to feel better than others. Yes. And it's bullshit. It is. It's Absolutely. such bullshit. Absolutely. And, and there's, you know, you can see that in the division in this country right now. It's so much easier to just say, well, half the country is dumb. I'm smarter than them than have to actually like put effort into thinking about their positions and researching and everything like that. Aside, just like you exercise your body, I recommend everyone exercise their mind. If you're not seeking other opinions than your own on a daily basis, you're allowing your mind to be weak. You need to do that. It's very, very important for you. I think that that's really difficult for people to do. And I think that cops have a, have a great challenge with this too because the way that our world works and its demand for polarization when when it is us versus them, it only allows you to surround yourself and your thoughts, everything that comes in with with what supports the safety of your side, yeah. your community. That's so like so fair. So like you took and and because we don't have like these resources and education tools um, to help break down some of those poor poorly thought out ideas yeah. that exist within each of our communities, they totally go unchecked. And the only thing that grows and grows and grows is the thing that helps us stick together. Absolutely. And I think that that's really dangerous. I see why people do it, but I feel like it's dangerous and it's not really doing anyone any service. It's not. Absolutely not. You're hundred percent correct about that. And, and I would just encourage any law enforcement officer, if you don't already do this, when you encounter someone that's in a desperate situation, it's easy for you to look at that as a snapshot in time and think, oh, well, they made all these terrible decisions leading up to that. That's who they are. That's, I almost guarantee you, not the case. Think about the history. This person was a normal functioning person at some point, mm -hmm. whether it be a child or an adult. And this was a very gradual slide into mm -hmm. this lifestyle. They don't want to be there. This is hell. Being addicted to, to things is not fun. This is not something you would wish on your enemy. It's it's absolutely a constant cycle of. I don't think that I've ever even thought of it that like that because I it it is very easy for me to just kind of like make fun of like all the fucking you know tweaker motherfuckers that are walking around with thirst busters and. You know? <laughs> Why do they always have a thirst? They always have a fucking thirst busters. Don't so, understand. So it's because they have free water at. You can get free water at Circle K. It was that, like, that okay, that yeah, fucking yeah, yeah, makes yeah. sense. All right, all right. Well, at least they're hydrating. <laughs> Something, right? They yeah. haven't pooped in two weeks. They need water, okay? <laughs> they need water. But that's really true, and I, and I bet that that's very hard. And neither one of us are cops, so to the cops listening, obviously what we're saying is information that you can mix with your education as an officer and your experience as an officer and you get to decide what to do with that. But I think when, when you've normalized your job, whether that's just like a traffic stop, like I was watching my dude's camera the other day and this woman, like they get into, so he pulls them over four black people in a car. My heart is racing watching this whole thing. Like she's really? going like a hundred miles an hour doesn't have a license, just got out of jail. She's 
like unable to drive. She's admitting that she's unable to drive all this stuff. And he gets her out of the vehicle. They're talking and he's like, Hey, let's go sit in my car in the front seat. So they both hop in and then I hear the radio in the background and it's like this pop song (laughs) and he lets it play the whole time. And I'm like, babe, do you know how much of a mind fuck that is? (laughs) Like this is her like worst nightmare, or yeah. she's replaying all and the things. That was a fucking soundtrack to it. One hundred percent, and it's like fucking you know, like some top twenty whatever. Yeah. So I'm going like, when you normalize your experience, um, it's hard to remember that you are having an possibly a generational impact on an individual. If you take someone to jail, whether they deserve to be there or not, yep. or they did something that will put them there, it's still going to have this ripple effect. Absolutely. And it was one blip in your day, one fucking stop. And and I don't think that officers, I don't think that a lot of officers are thinking about it that way because they're so used to doing it. Yeah, because routine. Mm-hmm. Human beings are amazingly adaptable creatures. Um, you can get used to anything, right? I mean, you, again, I... You can get used to being abused every single day. You can get, yep, you can get used to you know having to commit violence you can get used to having to go and do extreme things to get drugs and you can get used to you know a a traffic stop where and and there's such an asymmetry of experience and power in that okay this is just your average day you're going to do that 10 times Mm -hmm. this is like the thing that this that person has had nightmares about for right. years and years and years, years and, years. and years. So that asymmetry creates obviously an imbalance of power and an imbalance of expectations. I just got chills. I just got chills. That I hope you motherfuckers press rewind because that was really, really huge. I've never thought about it that way because I've always known that there is a difference in power, which is why like there's massive like financial repercussion when officers are involved in excessive uses of force or any type of public whatever or you know take for instance this is a really bad example and i don't mean that the two are correlated but the way that people view clergy in terms of spiritual abuse or sexual abuse or whatever there's this power dynamic and i've never thought about it being that Mm -hmm. i've never no one's explained it to me that way before yeah Interesting. Okay, I'm sorry. No, go on. No, you're, you're, you're. And so, uh, to your point, and I, and this again, this is slightly of a tangent, but like, if if you think about, to me, systemic racism, that can exist even if people aren't racist, mm-hmm. because like you were saying, these ripple effects have have occurred for so long now. I mean, 244 years of slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, redlining. All these things have these long-lasting consequences. This this wasn't that long ago. I've right? never had anybody like sum up the number <laughs> like of years. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I mean, this is like a couple of people ago, right? Right. So and and you know if you look at like so if if uh, and these stats might be a little bit out of date, but like uh, the average college-educated black person earns 60% of what a white person does. Their net worth on average with the same level of education is 5% of what the average white person is. So again, people don't have to be racist for the system to have these consequences of all these racist policies that have Mm -hmm. occurred 
hundreds. Because again, like you know, multi generational wealth is is huge, right? And that gives you a huge advantage, right? And and sometimes that privilege is not that people look at you different. It's the situation that you were born into, and your parents and your grandparents were born into. Right. So again, there's like that discrepancy of. Of, of power and thought and the consequences that come along with that. And, and obviously people that are in those kind of marginalized societies, because the consequences of police interactions are so severe, mm-hmm. they're going to have a very different perspective on it. It's not just something casual where, and, I, and I'm sure a lot of officers wish like, why can't they just be cool about it? Why can't they just be calm? Yeah. Because the consequences for them are so extreme financially or otherwise financially that's a big thing too right so i don't remember what movie it was but it's like if you lose your license yeah right taking away someone's license again not saying that some people should not have their license revoked obviously that is true right but what impact does that have on someone right so if you say to yourself why can't they just well if we if we're not fully aware of how the system not not policing and that's not what I'm specifically talking about but if we don't understand how the system of government and society works then to make statements like that is unfair to you and it's definitely unfair to them because yeah. it's not it's not the whole truth right it's not the whole truth um so mindsets within communities of color and low income communities that was kind of what I what I want officers to understand a little bit better. One of a friend of mine who's a chief talks about um, diversity of thought mm-hmm. and how we need to be more focused on instead of being diverse in skin color, which yes, we should do that. We also need to have this diversity of thought. And if we can't bring in, if we can't bridge that gap between the way that police officers think and the way that low-income communities or communities of color think like then we're not really going to have like effective change right so since you sort of been i would say kind of in that gap space right you're coming from an upper middle class family who isn't like isn't you're not following in your dad's footsteps of being a drug dealer but (laughs) you were involved in that lifestyle or making choices like that i won't even say lifestyle if that's if you're addicted and it's kind of keeping you trapped there, it's that's your life. Yep. Like how how do officers like balance the two? Like how how do you see it now? Because you're on the other side of that, and you have a lot of friends who are law enforcement, and you work with military. Like how does that happen now? Do you see any things? Yeah, I, I think so. Again, I'm trying not to go too far of a tangent here, but one race is a made up thing. Okay, there is more genetic diversity among African-American people or black people than there is a difference between a white person and a black person. We all came from Africa, right? right. We're all African in some, it's, to some degree, right? So, so I totally agree with that. It's, it's the diversity of thought that's really going to be important. Everyone's experiences are going to be different. Um, and again, being that it's easy for your mind to be lazy and for you to kind of insulate yourself in the bubble of your own comfort and thought... I mean, it, let me look at social media. It, it's it's conditioned to give you what you like, or which I do to... love that about TikTok, like the for you <laughs> side. Oh, just like hours of just scrolling, and it's nothing but things I love. Yeah, yeah. 
But who wouldn't want to plug into something <laughs> right. that just gave you like a dopamine hit like every 30 seconds, right? Yeah. So you have to challenge yourself. You have to get outside that comfort zone mentally and you have to be willing to just listen and not speak and understand these people's positions and their experiences, how they got to where they are, the consequences of, you know, how they feel, you know, just ask someone that's, that's in trouble. How'd you get here? What happened? Mm. What's your viewpoint on police? And what, what do you think I could do different or better? I really, I really like that stance. That's my boyfriend is really good about that. And when he talks to people, he just immediately tries to deescalate the situation and treat them the same in terms of like, I don't know that he's ever said, how'd you get here? But just like, Hey, take a deep breath for me. Like, yeah. I'm just a regular guy. Hi, my name. And then he'll just shake his hand and kind of like bring it down. But that's such a great question to ask. Like, how did you get here? Cause it doesn't necessarily have to inform what happens. But it, but it should inform how you approach how you have to do what you have to yeah, do. Yeah, it's context, right? And the context is going to be important no matter what the situation is. Mm. And, and again, to be fair, I've got police officers that are friends. Most of them are actually very good about this. They're very good about being human. They're very good. They understand, you know, the consequences. I, I think that it's not fair for us to judge all these individual circumstances and situations like police are a monolith and like, oh, well, police always do this and Ugh. police always do this. No, no, no. These are totally different situations yeah. with different contexts, with different beginnings and endings and different human beings and different interactions and everything like that. You have to judge each one on their own merit. And again, that's hard, right? It takes mental energy to do that. Ugh, I have chills. And that goes back to what you said about BLM and how it's this, I mean, that that came out that like, that's a cry for, no, I'm not every black person right. that you know. Like I'm me, yep. let me be me and judge me for me instead of against that. And we're just not offering officers the same type of gift. No, gift's yeah. not the right word, but just, you know. Yeah. The same opportunity. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's the same thought process. And that's crazy to me. I mean, that, that's your entire, you know, takeaway and that's your goal. And I, again, I obviously, I think Black Lives Matter isn't necessarily a, a monolith either. Obviously, there's it's it's disorganized. There's a lot of different. There's a spectrum of people, right? Mm -hmm. But I mean, if that's your your kind of main takeaway is treat every person as individual, we have to expand that to first responders and police as well because they're just human beings. That's all all they are. They just have a different job than you, and it's a hard fucking job. <laughs> Super hard so job. It's, it's job. <laughs> like I know I for sure that. I am not built for police work. Like. Yeah. It takes a special person. Mm, no, 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 no. Which I think is really like, I feel like our society has gotten away from understanding that there's this whole side of our society that is like a hot fucking mess. Yes. Like violence. Like you even talking about your trauma with the suicide. I've never experienced that. Yeah. So in my mind, that's, that doesn't exist. Yeah. Right? You can't. You can't imagine. That. I can't imagine that. Yeah, as hard like, as you can try. Right. You can't imagine that. Nor can you imagine the trauma of being an abuse victim, or, you know, insert whatever you want. Right. Going to war, doing like all this stuff, being raped. Like you, there's there's no possible way as strong of imagination as you can have to understand what that is like to live through, and what you felt like before and what you felt like after. And and I tend to find that. At least for me, 
my memories are colored with emotion and negative emotion is a much more vivid, deep color than positive emotion is. That is exactly right. I just posted something about your brain does not know the difference between you having a dream and reality. It just goes off of your emotions. So they can be as fucking real today as they were 10 years ago because your brain, it marks things in your timeline through emotion. Yep, absolutely. That's why you should pay attention to your emotions when you're triggered. And I the fucking post today. Okay. Like when you, when you sense, yeah, motherfuckers. (laughs) I'm just kidding. kidding, I love you. When you, when you experience an emotional trigger, it can be really intense and really scary because it's that emotion all over again in your brain. Like your amygdala gets hijacked and you go into this whole, like, Oh my God, is this right now? And then, and then your brain subconsciously starts thinking, or unconsciously thinking about what what's going to happen next. And then anxiety can set in and all that stuff. Yep. Okay. I want to go back to how you were into the drug business and how you had mentioned something about helping officers now or helping your friends or something like that. Like what is like the fucking um, Pablo Escobar kind of shit that like officers don't know about? What are some of the things that are like, happening like dangers that they should be aware of or things to be on the lookout for like is that a thing yeah well absolutely um and so and and this may not be a surprise to to, you know police officers but it's usually a surprise to kind of the average person is these are extremely extremely well-run organizations they are just as well run as a fortune 500 company and they have the same type of power structure there's you know you know, frontline employees and there's middle management and management and executives and CEOs and everything that goes along with that, right? Um, you know, these aren't dumb people. They, they understand, they're, they go to extreme lengths to obfuscate and hide and be successful in, in what they're trying to do because there's so much money involved. It's so profitable. Do you think that there's, um, um... I don't know what the right word is. Do you think that like the the barrier between officers understanding that they're very very smart individuals? Do you think that it's because there's a language barrier? I'm sure. And that, because they're Hispanic, absolutely. that like there's kind of, there's a I mean I I am Hispanic and I have a lot of bias against people who are Hispanic and that's something that I'm constantly working through and yeah. thinking that like I'm that they're inferior to me in right. some way. Do you think that that's a thing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about, I mean, how do you understand anybody? You talk to them. If you can't communicate with them, you're automatically going to be stuck with whatever biases or preconceived notions that you have. And there's no method of resolving that, right? With, with, if we speak English, I can assume whatever I want about you. And then if I ask a simple question, who are you? Where have you been? What's happened to you? I can clarify that. Boom. I got my contacts, right? You can't do that. So language barrier absolutely is, is you know, part of that. But to keep officers safe, again, trust your gut. If something, if you feel like something isn't right and there's something going on, if, if someone's acting suspiciously, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a criminal, right? You have to understand the consequences of even for the average person getting pulled over or having an interaction with the police. Um, but if it's between, for a lot of these people, sadly, killing an officer and their freedom, mm-hmm. or in some cases, and this does happen, um, you know, you're going to deliver this load, or we know where your family lives. You know, they, they always have some sort of leverage 
in addition typically to financial leverage against that individual? I believe that officers should no longer have their names on their, on their clothes, on their uniform. I think that they should have their badge number mm-hmm. because that is so terrifying to me. Like my guy works interdiction. Yeah. What if you just Google his name, you'll fucking find all kinds of shit. And then if you're really, if you've decided, if you've made up your mind that you're going to fucking hurt someone because the language is violence. Yeah. That's so wild to me. Yeah. I, I think one thing that has changed a lot of police work and, you know, they, you know, obviously you, you guys know more than I do, but uh, when I first started, there was a lot more emphasis on human intelligence gathering and like undercover work. Uh-huh. Now it seems like it's all technology. It's, and people are, are, are wise enough to that, right? It's, it's whose cell phone interacts with whose, right? There's right. a network. Like, all right, this cell phone. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. Yeah. Who are the most 10 common people that they talk to and then the 10 most common people they talk to and where are they pinging off of and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that's, that's partially good because it, it kind of re- removes some sort of like blame off of the officer. Mm-hmm. But, but again, like also these, these organizations, they understand like if they execute an American officer, that is an insane consequence for them. It's not worth it, right? Now, for the individual who's being stopped, that's a little bit different, right? Because their freedom and their livelihood is being challenged in that moment. Yeah. But like in Mexico, right, there's very little consequence for them to, to execute an officer. So it's just business. It's just convenience, right? If you're, you know, it's plato a plomo, right? Are you going to take the, the money I give you or are you going to get a bullet? And that's been the policy from, you know, Pablo Escobar basically on. I mean, these, these, are, these are lessons of business and organization that have been passed on and adapted and improved upon. And, and again, that's the, the, what you see now is the consequence of these warring organizations with no other method of outlet or problem solving. So the only thing you can do is escalate violence to an absurd degree. And that's what you're seeing, right? And it's, it's the only leverage you can have against someone is just be more violent, faster, more intense to more people. And that's what you get is a cartel war. I don't think that a lot of civilians or people, especially like the world that I come from, it's very like, you know, self-aware and meditating and yogis and, you know, glitter and unicorns, whatever. That is not a reality Yeah. that most people are even like come face to face with or are exposed to aside from movies, which are, you know, grandiose. That's a great thing. It is a good thing, but it's also allowed us to believe that there's no necessity for force or, and I'm just going like to, absolutely. I can't fathom the idea of what you just said. Like I'm going to be more violent faster. Mm -hmm. Like, to as many people because like that's not a part of my world. And so I think that when people are forcing these policies and structures around their very isolated worldviews and perspectives, it's really unfortunate because there's still this world that exists (laughs) that's going to just grow and grow and grow and grow and grow if police don't, which that's always been just kind of like a cat mouse kind of thing. Yeah. And if police officers aren't able to keep up with 
whatever the mouse is doing, how does that, how does that now start to impact me right. as someone who wants to believe that that stuff doesn't exist? <laughs> right. Right. Like at what point, like I don't think that people understand, like at some point it will bleed into whatever, which is kind of where we are now with like race, right? Yeah. It's not my problem. I don't see color. Well, now you fucking have to. (laughs) Now it's going to be in your fucking face. And now you're going to work three months of overtime because you didn't think it was a problem. And because it wasn't a part of your world. Right. And now it fucking is in your face. Now it's there. That's so scary. It's knocking on your door. Yeah. And and, and to your absolute point, um, you know, the fact that like the average 20 year old, you know, liberal white girl can you know, rage against the police and firebomb a police cruiser, that's a, that is the outcome of extreme luxury because they don't have to deal with police on a day-to-day basis. They don't feel like the police are needed because they have been so removed from the reality for so many other people or for so long. what about this idea? What if that is like the outcome of like the, you can get off on the, like, Okay, I pulled you over. Okay, it's not a big deal. Slow it down. You can go. Yeah. Or like your interaction. Hey, shake my hand at you. Please don't do that. Mm -hmm. Right? So like the outcome of that is like blatant disrespect and disregard for authority altogether. And then you have like the opposite side of like when you use excessive force consistently or maybe biasly. Yeah. How does that grow? But think about the discrepancy you just explained. What? Right? For... Some individuals, their interaction with the police is just that. It's like, hey, have a nice day. Mm-hmm. I, you know, slow it down. Yeah. And then on that same person, because all they don't see the millions of interactions every day with police officers that occur, they only see the bad things, mm-hmm. right? And that's the media perpetuating that issue. So they, the, all they see is like this extreme black mirror. Mm-hmm. Well, my experience is this. And their experience is this. So therefore, obviously, it's this broken, totally racist system. Mm-hmm. But they're ignoring what actually is happening 99.9% of the time, which is probably a relatively similar interaction regardless of your skin color. Yeah. So again, it's a luxury for them to be able to have that position and think, well, the police aren't necessary because I can slow myself down, right? <laughs> I, it's not necessary for me. Or like I know I have the time, right? Like if I get pulled over. Yeah. Nothing's going to escalate. I don't have somebody that's on edge wondering if it's going to be the same thing that they just saw on TV, nope. right? I'm not going to jail. It's not going to result in my Everything third is strike. fine. Right. In yeah. my mind, I'm like, it's fine. Everything is fine. Like, yeah. nothing's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario, I get a ticket, whatever I pay for it. My insurance goes up, right. maybe $10. Not and a for deal. you, that's true. It's not true for everybody. Right. So fucking wild. Um, okay. We got to wrap this thing up because I promised that we were getting... Look at that! We did so good! okay well i very much appreciate you coming by to give me your perspective and i hope that that was beneficial for um, law enforcement and my civilian listeners it's all this stuff is my whole goal is to provide information information education that is how you combat fear like You, I believe that officers and people are smart if we give them the chance and we give them enough context and information. And so this isn't about like, well, you have to do this. This is just about, okay, now that you have some more things to think about, how does that influence what you're going to do? Yep. A person is smart 
but people can be dumb, panicky animals. That's a great quote from Men in Black. It's true. An individual, <laughs> it is. A person, so an individual true. person in their own context is a very, very intelligent animal. But, you know, when we apply and scale these things up to groups of people, unfortunately, because that message and that intelligence gets diluted, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it does result in groups that are thought of as being substandard, unfortunately. Yeah. All right, my friend. Thank you so much, Z. Of course. It was such a pleasure. All right, you guys. Stay tuned for another episode of Controlling the Mind and the Machine podcast. I am your host, Eric Chadwick. I shall see you all later. Oh, yeah. Thank you, special guest, Z. Great, great information. Um, You know, here's the cool thing about getting a wider perspective uh, is you get to decide what you do with that information. And I have so much confidence and trust in the officers that I have met and worked with that I believe that y'all have a really good bearing on right and wrong and you have you're squared away you have your shit together so i believe that just with more information right that can that can build a stronger more confident officer and you know, there's this quote i don't know who the smarty pants is but you know the best way to combat fear is through education so um we all have things that we don't understand that give us um, that make us feel uncomfortable. Um, I don't know that we would necessarily, um, identify it as fear, but that is what it is, you know, unknown types of things. So more information is better. Um, Oh, so good. It was so good. I really, really enjoyed this episode. Um, all right, y'all, I hope that you share it. Um, I hope that you are able to, take that information, do something good with it. And then also, you know, don't forget to freaking set your alarms for October 26th. If you have the day off, join us at 3 PM. We're going to be live on Instagram and Facebook and you know, you'll get to freaking practice some drills. We're doing part two of part three. We're doing part two of the three part series. (laughs) I don't know how to say it. (laughs) Part two of the three-part series. And then if you're not able to join us live, uh, it'll be uploaded to YouTube as before, and it'll be on the tacmobility.net slash BJJ page where you can sign up to enter into our scholarship. We're giving away seven of them, seven. And I hope that you're one of them. That would be fantastic. And, you know, while you're on the website tooling around, check out the shop. I've got a few shirts left from the Tac Mobility tie-dye um, design. And then there's a new shirt drop that's coming out uh, next week, I believe. Um, so look forward to that. And what else? What else? What else? Uh, if you're not already paying attention to Free Ship Friday, please do so. Every Friday through Monday, you get a chance to enter as many times as you want, as many officers as you want, Uh, but I give something away for free. It's my way of saying thank you for trying these challenges. I know that they are difficult and 
you're not used to some of them. Some of them might seem kind of weird. So I ask all kinds of companies to partner with us. Okay. Uh, I have some rad ones coming up. You don't want to fucking miss it. And then, you know, if you want to bring tech mobility out to your department, we definitely offer that in-service training. Um, not just the training, but there's also cool add-on packages. So if you've got some smaller teams and you want to do trigger release therapy, which is like that myofascial business, um, we'll get you all squared away, get your bodies taken care of, give you that recovery that you deserve, okay? Because that shit is no longer optional. You got to be doing it, okay? Um, thank you again for all of you who tune in to the episodes This is Controlling the Mind and the Machine. I am the founder, Erica Chadwick, and I will see you guys sometime freaking soon.